need our prayer this morning. Let me just mention, I just found out before service, Jim tells me that his wife Barb fell yesterday and broke her arm. She'll be having surgery tomorrow morning, right? So I pray for Barb Pierce as uh, she will be uh, having some surgery done where she fell. Um, also, um, others in our church, Jim is still having some difficulty. Jim Heinlein, pray for him. Don't forget about Jay Stewart to pray for and even give a phone call to. And uh, Nancy is still with us today, but still uh, needs our prayers with the cancer and different issues there. So I'll continue to pray for her. So we do have a number of folks uh, that uh, we need to be praying for. We have a prayer list. There's usually some left over if you want to take one in the back of the church from Wednesday night. And uh, if you'd like to do that, it'd be a great ministry for us as well to be able to do those things to pray for one another. Started last week looking at our doctrinal statement. Just read the first one. I want to do this for a number of weeks now. We have 16 articles in our doctrinal statement of our Constitution. And I'm not going to belabor, just going to read it to you, just to remind you of what we as a church hold to be true <clears throat> from God's Word. The second article of our Declaration of Faith states this, there is one God and only one. That's very, very important, folks. That is really what makes it all worthwhile. Who is self-existent. Now look at these words. He's self-existent, eternal, and infinite, infinite in every excellency, and who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same in essence, though distinct in personality. So that's what we as a church hold to be true. Now, there's more of these as we go through. And I'm going to be reading one to you each Sunday morning for you to think about. But we do understand that there's one God and that he is the God of the universe. What an important situation or, or statement that is for all of us. We are looking at 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 3. Uh, glad I got the chapter right. You know, one thing I learned about being a pastor, especially this pastor, if I can't laugh at myself, I'm in trouble because I make too many mistakes. But, uh, you know, one of those things, we got the right verse going anyway here, and uh, we're ready to go. But uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's chapter 2, really, Paul started his argument about how a church should function. And he continues on in this chapter also. This really becomes the main purpose of what he's writing about is how a church should behave itself, how it should function as far as this world is concerned. And, of course, some of the statements that deal with leadership is everything rises and falls with leadership. Well, that's Lee Robinson from Tennessee Temple years ago. And a true, never a truer statement was made. I also heard this one, every problem is a leadership problem. And that's true, too. <clears throat> it's, it's usually dealing with areas of leadership. And this is true not just in the church. It's just home or any place that we're talking about, businesses. <clears throat> it has to uh, understand that. But the best statement that I have found, and I meant this, mentioned this to the men yesterday, and really is the essence or the thesis of this passage, or the main point of this passage is this. And it comes from Ian e. Bounds. If you remember him, he was the one who wrote about prayer. He wrote a three-book trilogy that was put together, and it's really the classic on prayer back in the early 1900s. He said this, God is not looking for better methods. God is looking for people. People are God's methods. Boy, that has rung through my mind for this whole week. He is looking for people, and those people are the methods that God uses in our universe today. And so when it comes to leadership, 
We need people. And we need people who are sold out to God. This week will be pastors. Next week will be deacons. And we are starting the nominations process for all these issues. So very important for us to think about these because church expla Paul explains the need for local churches to function according to God's plan. I mean, that's a given, right? Every church should function according to the way God has planned it to function. I mean, that which should be something that all of us just understand. And now he starts to define and look at this area of leadership inside the church. And today, boy, a lot of stories, isn't there? A lot of problems and churches and pastors. A lot of situations of individuals who lead churches. And you've heard about some of them. I guess the latest one, of course, would be the whole liberty fiasco. I mean, you can't even turn your news on for a while and not see something about that. And I'm not making comments on it. I mean, it was terrible with all these things that happened. But the point is this. You know, leadership has some serious implications. And we all know about the in individuals, and that's the ones usually we hear about, who mess up, who have problems. And it seems to be the way that you know, we do things. And so... It's important that we look and find or we see what Paul is saying about the area of leadership. And let me just state this. I used the first quote by E.M. Bounds because I really think it develops our main point this morning is this, <clears throat> that leadership is a matter of character. That's important. It's a matter of character. Authentic, spiritual, Christian character is everything inside the leadership of a local church. If we don't have character... Really, there's not much else that we do have. Because as I read this, I find that it's not so much about what a person does as it is who a person is. Maybe I should say it the other way. It's more important who a person is than what he does. That would be a little more clear, wouldn't it? And that is true when it comes to this section of Scripture. Because Paul basically is concerned about character. He's concerned about the resulting lifestyle that comes from character, and that's really what 1 Timothy is about, is a certain lifestyle that must come, and it really peaks in this third chapter. This becomes the climax of his argument about what character is all about. And his basic concern is found back in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and it's this, that all men will be saved. That's his heart. God has an evangelistic heart. He wants to see people in heaven with him. That's why we have Wednesday night and why we bring the kids in on the van, right? So that they can hear the gospel. It is God's desire, that's why we preach the gospel, that men come to know Christ as personal Savior. And, they want, and, and he wants them to come to the truth. And church order will help this to happen. This is what he's all about. He wants their things to be done in a certain way. First Corinthians would say decently and in order comes the theme of what Paul is concerned about. And all this is connected to lifestyle. You know, chapter 2, I started reading earlier because I was looking at this. He talks about leading a quiet life. He talks about women in the church. He talks about dress. He talks about creation. He talks about prayer without disputing. All these principles have already been laid down for us as far as the church is concerned. And now he moves on to this area of bishop, basically overseer is the word that's used here, and how that should function inside the church. Paul's concerned that the church has a leader who would 
grace the church and adorn the gospel before the world. That's really going to be verse 7, probably the most difficult verse in the 1 and 7 of this section. Because it says, we must have a good report of them which are without. So it's not just believers that this must affect. It's also the world. Those who are unsaved must be involved also in this same situation. And so today we find that this is an area probably of compromise like no other. We addressed this last week with the whole issue of uh, ladies being pastors of churches and how that's so anti-biblical and how it really affects everything else going on. But this is something that when you compromise in this section, it will affect a church's effectiveness. It will affect the way the church works and what it's all about. So this morning, four areas that I want you to think about with me, and you have an outline there before you that you can follow along. We're going to look at this bishop's or this leader's call, his character, his clan, and his caution. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, encourage us to understand that you have requirements for us when it comes to the Christian life. You have responsibilities that you give to us for the Christian life. Help us not to take them lightly, but help us to understand that it's what causes the church to function most effectively. Encourage us this morning in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We find here, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 3, he talks about the call of this individual. He says in verse 1, it says, This is a true saying. So he is drawing attention to this. If a man, boy, there's my argument from last week, right? If a man, so it's pretty definite that it has to be a man, desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. And so the first thing I notice here, A, is the desire. There needs to be a desire. Now, there's two words used for desire in this verse. Notice in verse 1 it says, A man desires the office, and he desireth a good work. And so two different words are used. One is an internal motivation. The other is an external motivation. So the point is this. Both internal and external are involved. In other words, the whole person's involved. Integrity is the word we use for wholeness, right? Because that's what the word means. We are to be people of integrity. And so it involves everything about this person. And it's a good work. It's something that one should not enter into lightly, but with understanding. Need to count the cost. Need to understand where things are going. Person must be set apart for this responsibility that God has given in one's life. I've been listening to some podcasts of different organizations about pastors and churches, and they say there's going to be a great shortage because guess what? Three-quarters of all pastors in good, solid churches are over 50 years of age. That's a pretty high percentage, isn't it? And the number of young people who are going into this kind of work is very, very minimal. Extremely minimal. You can ask the leadership of Bible colleges and they'll tell you this. Classes of pastoral students are no longer very large, even at some of the largest institutions that are around. But it's something that one should understand, not take lightly. 
that it is a good work in the, in the sense that it is a work that is the transformation of the souls of lost folks to saved folks. Now, it's not going to automatically happen, of course. You understand that. But preaching the gospel should be a process where those who are lost are moving towards the place where they are God's children. What greater work is there in all the universe, right? Than seeing somebody come to know Christ as personal Savior. Being able to baptize a child who has said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and I want you to save me. What, what, what greater, what's, what's greater than that? If a man should gain the whole world, what Mark says, and do what? And lose his own soul. And so it is a good work. Notice it says it's going to be after the desire, it should be his, the work. There's going to be work involved. He desireth a good work. It's going to be a difficult work. And he's going to be accountable. It's a stewardship that, one, that God places a person into. Stewardship means that one day you will answer for that stewardship. This happens in the home. happens in the church. Anytime God places us in an area of authority or leadership, he's also going to demand certain things from us in that area. It's not a place for the faint-hearted. It's not a nine-to-five job, and it is limited to men. And it's under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's going to be work. After the call, notice his character. Verses 2 and 3 talk about the character of this person. And we have a list of things, don't we? We're going to go through this list. And it's done in two ways. Verse 2 basically is done positive. That'll be our outline. There's going to be a positive aspect of this. And then verse Three will be more of a negative thing. It says not in verse 3. In verse 2, he's going to be talking about what should happen in this person's life. He says a bishop, and let me, I should pause with the word bishop. The word means overseer. Uh, bishop really is not a real good translation of the word, but you know, the King James did this, and it was done by the Anglican church, and so bishops were something that were pretty big. And, and the word overseer would have probably been a more accurate uh, translation of the word here. But it's what it is, it is. And the word bishop, the word elder, and the word pastor all basically are the same function when you read God's Word. Get that out of the way. But a bishop then must be, and here we go. Here are the qualifications. And there are seven of these that are positive. Notice the list, and we will look at them briefly this morning. <clears throat> he must first of all be blameless. Blameless. What a large word. What a... <laughs> what a large area to try to cover. A person has to be blameless. Does this mean that they can never sin? Well, boy, you know you got some problems there, don't you? Uh, because none of us are blameless. And this word basically becomes the key word where the other six, well, the other group, basically come out of. In other words, the rest of the words are going to define blameless. Okay, blameless is going to be the overarching issue. And then the other words now will define what it means to be blameless. And let me just say, first of all, that the word blameless has the idea in a model. Not giving an enemy any reason to attack. It doesn't mean that they're perfect, of course. But 
there should be nothing in their life that is a special target of the enemy who can say, look at that person. The standard must not be lowered, placed down in this area. When someone is blameless, it means you can't really point your finger at them and say, aha, look at that person. Look how guilty they are. Not that they're perfect, but there should be a character quality that's true in their life. Now he defines this. One is blameless when they are the husband of one wife. Now, it's more than just the fact they're not divorced. It's more than just the fact that, you know, they have a life that's, that's a living. That's not really what this is all about. I mean, that's true. You know, there shouldn't be a divorced person doing the job of a pastor or a deacon. But the point here is that they are the husband of one wife, and the fact is that they are a one-woman person. There's only one person that's true in their life. And that is true in their thought life. That is true in the way they conduct themselves. Is that the woman who is his wife is the object of all of his attention in every area. I have to read you one of my favorite examples of that. Winston Churchill. I know Joe Biden thinks he was president of the United States, but he wasn't. But Winston Churchill, he was the Prime Minister of England, in case anybody gets confused on that point, <clears throat> uh, was asked one time at this banquet, he said to them, he says, uh, if you were not who you are, and I ask everybody in the room, if you were not who you are, who would you like to be? In other words, you could just be anybody you want. I've told you this before, so, but I've got to repeat it. You know, who would you want to be? And they went around the room, and everybody was talking about you know, who they wanted to be, and of course, Churchill was the last person, and so everybody was curious about Churchill. What's he going to say? And he was seated beside his wife, Clementine was her name. And um, when it finally got to his turn, after everybody else had had their turn, everybody was listening to what Churchill's answer was going to be. He stands up, and he's an old man at this point, and he responds to the question like this. He says, if I could not be who I am, and I would be who I most wanted to be, and he sort of paused with that way he could do it. And he took her hand and his wife, he says, I would be Lady Churchill's second husband. Isn't that a great story? A one-woman man. Only have eyes for her. Only look at her. Only have aspirations for that one that's married to. And so we find that a one-woman man is more than... It's a whole mindset that God has placed these two together. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you at the end, let me just give you a clue on this. This is true for leaders, but it should be true for every Christian who breathes a breath of fresh air. So it should be true for every believer in this room today. There's only one woman for each man. And it should be that way throughout all of life. So, husband of one wife. Also, he is to be vigilant. The idea of vigilant is one who thinks clearly. It's not about pleasure, but about the souls of others, watching for false teachers, not being taken by all the fads and the trends of the day. Folks, there's a lot of trends. Even in church circles, you can go to things and they can tell you all these ideas and all these new gadgets that's going to work. You know, 
not being taken with all the fads, the trends that seem to come out. Because most of them last about as long as the person who's advertising them last. God's word has to be number one in life. Sober would be the next word. Well disciplined, able to keep priorities. Tries to keep a view from God and not the flesh or not the pleasure of one's life. But sober, able to think things through. Some of these words kind of group together. Good behavior would be another one. He's to be of good behavior. An orderly life. No place for continual confusion or unaccompanied, uh, unaccomplished plans. Chaotic lifestyles all over the place. But a plan for one's life that one should live by. And understand what one is doing with one's life. Given to hospitality. Able to talk to individuals. Able to make strangers welcome. Available to others when the need is there. Able to put other people at ease in one's life. Apt to teach. Notice the difference? This is the only one that talks about what the... Every one of those other words dealt with a person's character, who they are. The only one that deals with what they do is this word here, apt to teach. They should be able to handle and communicate God's word. They should be able to give forth what God is saying and do so effectively in a way that is helpful to other individuals. So, positive. Well, there's a quite a list, isn't there? But there's some negative issues also that go on in verse 3. Not given to wine, not a drinker, not a part of that whole scene. I was, reading the Dave, I was listening to David Dorn, a message on this, and he says, you know, the idea of this wine today, he says, you know, nobody really knows where too far is. Think about this. He says, even, even the, the commercials have to be, you know, don't be a buzz driver and all this kind of thing. Because the person who's drinking has a hard time drawing that line, but the point is just don't, don't be involved at all. No striker. He doesn't react with physical violence. Wouldn't it be terrible to see... The pastor, I guess that's me, and somebody taking somebody in a headlock. I wouldn't pick on Justin, but somebody else, you know, and, and trying, to, trying to put them on the ground. Or I mean, wouldn't that be a terrible thing? I mean, what, you think to yourself, what in the world is going on? He's not supposed to be a striker. Uh, able to remain faithful, I'm sorry, able to, he's not a street fighter out there. He's not out there with, with uh, doing all kinds of desperate things. It says patient. So not greedy of filthy lucre comes first. And he uses that twice, also down in, in verse, not covetousness. So both words are used here. So let's just pick up the word patient first, then we'll go to filthy lucre. Patient means he doesn't hold a grudge. Able to stick by the stuff, remains faithful no matter, the, no matter what opposition comes. Faithful to what God's word says. Not a brawler. Not out there fighting, not quarrelsome, not quick to lose one's temper. But the one he talks about here is not filthy of, not greedy of filthy lucre. You got to watch a man who goes into the ministry to get rich. Boy, I won't even talk about this too much, but that doesn't happen too often. But not, not guilty of, of doing things for money. I think the idea of covetousness and filthy lucre basically go together. And you know, it, it's not so much about the money as it is wanting to be rich. You know how that was back in stewardship? 
I found out that, that as you live your life very long, it's, it's not how much you have, it's how much you want to have. That's the difference. A poor man can be just as covetous as a rich man can because he wants everything. And so he has to be in that situation where it's not about how you get rich, and, and he has to be able to watch over finances in the church. Let me quote my brother. My brother's named Rodney Compton. He tells me this all the time. He says, Tim, it's always easy to spend somebody else's money. Isn't that true? Watches the finances. Understands what's going on. Understands what budgets are all about and how they work. And also, I think there's another issue here. Sometimes the leader has a tendency to change because the money people change. You know what I'm saying there? Let me just talk about this for a minute. The individuals who have resources, if they change their opinion about doctrine, it's a great temptation for the leader to change because we've got to keep the doors open. If you're in a college, you know, you've got to keep the students coming. And so maybe if we change this or we change that or we change something else, it's going to be more productive or more likable by those who have resources. And so therefore, we change in order to keep things moving and we can even justify it. That's not what the leader should be. We find that we should never change the message to fit, to fit the individual. Individuals should change to fit the message. When Jesus Christ came, I didn't find him watering down certain things for the Pharisees. Boy, I mean, if you want to read the Gospels, <laughs> that's an understatement, isn't it? You den of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, you dirty plates. I mean, the list is long. And those were the movers and the shakers, folks. He didn't water it down so they would somehow give him credence or political position. One who is filthy of, one who is greedy or not greedy of filthy lucre and not covetousness does not change because they think it's going to help the bottom line financially of the church or the institution. Character. That's what it's all about. Only one word talks about what he does. Aptitude. Everything else talks about who he is. What about his clan? Look at verse 4. Here's the principle. And again, this is the idea of being blameless. The principle is found in verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. The principle, the home, is a picture of Christ and his church. It's a picture of his wife and his children as well. What goes on? Discipline children and respectfulness of parents and adults. The family is really the proving grounds of any kind of gifts that go on in the church. There should be an area of respect, the use of wisdom. There should be the dependency upon the Word of God. One should have their house under control. One should be able to understand that this is an implication or a reflection on character. So many times what happens is that the pastor's 
messes up in this area, and so excuses start to be made. Well, you know, it wasn't his fault. No, the scripture's clear. If it does not affect the home, that person should be dismissed. Well, that's a strong statement to make. Now, they have to be in the home, of course. You have to understand that. Under the table. But yet, oh, well, the gifts are there, so let's forego this and just allow the gifts to take place. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he should be able to have his home under a certain way of subjection. This means he and the wife get along. And he's very much in charge of the home. I would have a hard time where a man is not in charge of his home. Because the, the scripture is so clear on this. Now here's the reason. Verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Isn't that just good old common sense? If a man can't manage his own house, in the world can he take care of the church of God? You know, if he doesn't know how to handle finances at home, is there going to be a certain light that just sort of clicks on whenever he assumes some position and it's going to happen? If his home is always a financial mess, there's a problem. Or he's undisciplined, or, you know, there's always trouble going on. Just to place somebody in authority does not mean things will change for the better. Well, I've heard arguments like this. Well, let's put them in this office. Maybe they'll be more regular in church. That doesn't work. We are something first. And we have to be something. His clan. Boy, that's a tough area, isn't it? We spent a lot of time yesterday talking about this, the men did together. It's an area that really does demonstrate what's going on in the heart and the life of a person. His call, his character, his clan, notice his caution. Verse 6, there needs to be a certain sense of maturity, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation of the devil not a novice, not able to, should be able to handle the pressure, the position. One who is not constantly in danger of being lifted up with pride. The word lifted up is an interesting term. It has the idea of a cloud of smoke or a hot air balloon that is lifted up. Now, many individuals have a problem with pride. He says, be careful. You know, one of, the, one of the sins that God hates the most in the Bible is pride. One of the issues that keep people from coming to Christ probably one of the others pride. I am somebody. I'm important. Churches should be careful who they lift up in this situation because the Lord may have to cut them down sooner or later. Well, that's a scary thought, isn't it? There should be a certain sense of maturity that's involved in the life of one who's in leadership. And notice, falls into the condemnation of the devil. We're going to see that again. We're going to see devil mentioned in verse 7 as well. So what a, what a 
warning this is not to allow Satan to get in and work in one's heart and one's life. Because the kasha is not only about maturity, but it's also about reputation. That would be B. Moreover, he must be of good report of them which are without, outside the church. Yes, there needs to be a, a sense inside the church, but outside the church. Lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, I could tell you stories, and you know stories, and I don't even want to reiterate them about some of the stupid things preachers do. You can just let your mind wander right now for a few minutes. Because there's all kinds of stories out there, and the problem is most of them are probably true. Pastors demanding ministerial discounts. Heard about a guy, well, I'm going to tell you one, okay. I told the man this yesterday. Heard about this guy who walks into this barber shop, sits down in the chair. I heard this last. It wasn't me, so I pay for my haircuts, all right. But uh, unless Annette does it, which I'd prefer. But anyway, that's all beside the point. But he walks in this barber shop. Sits down in the chair, gets his hair cut, gets up and walks out and says, ministerial privilege. Can you imagine him witnessing to that barber? Now, I read that, so I, I can't document it. But you know, preachers do some dumb things. Isn't it terrible when a preacher leaves a town with a big debt that goes bankrupt? Terrible. How do you witness to that person Sure, they want the gospel when they see what your life is like. Sure, they want the gospel when they see what's going on in your life. So it says, we should be of good report of them which are without. Now, again, let's put some disclaimers in here. It doesn't mean that we're wishy-washy. No, it's not leadership. You just kind of float every which direction. You've got to take a stand. You know, there are certain things we have to say, well, if God will, that's what it's going to be, no matter what. And, and, you know, I really think in our world today that that's an attractive feature. Because I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of wishy-washy. Everybody just swimming every which direction, no matter what it is, whenever any kind of pressure goes. I think of politicians in this area. Good report. And notice it says, Reproach, lest he fall. It's a great verb there. Fall, trip into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Satan lays traps and snares to trip up the leadership of a church. Satan loves to be able to render the leadership of a church non-effective. Satan loves to be able to render our Christian testimony as that which is hypocritical. You know, the one word I think I hate more than any other today is the word hypocrite. Because I see it so much in our national news with so much hypocrisy going on. Boy, Lord, keep our church from being filled with hypocrisy. We need to be genuine. Understanding what God has given to us. Satan loves to trap, snare, and render ineffective. Leadership's important. Most organizations will not rise above leadership. Now, these are things that I've just observed. 
And I think that's true whether it's church or any kind of an organization. Have you ever been into, uh, and I'll not use, because I haven't been into Wendy's forever. Why in the world we're still, I am so sick and tired of driving around out and getting cold french fries at the house, and that's my own little pet peeve. One day, we, Timothy and I, we went and we searched till we could find, go, finally go in someplace, didn't we, Timothy? We finally got Burger King. If you want to go in someplace, go to Burger King, folks. Your french fries are hot. But anyway, I'm off the point. Um, if you go into a restaurant where you watch the employees, Harold Coleman has you know, clued me in on this a number of times. You know, you watch the employees, you know what kind of a manager is involved, don't you? I mean, if people are back there talking on their phones and they're looking at each other and you're standing up there and, you know, there's about 15 people in line. Now, this is back in the old days, okay, when you could go in. There's 15 people in line, and this person's back there, and they're, and they're looking at one another, and they're trying to figure out who had the, who's, whose boyfriend was doing this or who's, who's you know, the, the conversation. And there you are standing there. You've been to this kind of restaurant? You know, that's a leadership problem, right? It certainly is. It's a leadership problem because that manager is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And if you go someplace where they're on the ball, ready to go, you've probably got a manager. You do have a manager who is doing what he should be doing. So we need to understand that it's important. And let me say this. Watch who gives your children advice. Your home is so important. And I'm, Did you know I'm going to be grandpa again? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Krista's going to have another baby here in April. That's not a secret, I don't think. But, you know, I mean, being, uh, being, a, being a grandparent or being a parent, uh, parents, let me just speak to you for a second. You know how important it is who gives your children information? Who has their minds? What they are hearing? What they're understanding? Because we're living in a world, and, you know, we don't hear a lot about the LGBTQTVX, whatever it is, community anymore because of, things in Washington, but watch who's giving your children advice. Your home should be the place that gives that understanding. Watch who is setting the tone. You know, the world is watching us, and we need to understand how important that is in our world today. And we need leadership, not only in church, but in our homes that are involved in this very important area. His call, his character, his clan, and his caution. Let me end with three statements. They're not on your screen. <clears throat> but I heard these, and I shared them with the men yesterday, and I really think this is the way we need to close this morning because of the opening statement that God is looking for better. He's not looking for better methods. He's looking for people who are God's methods. And when it comes to a church, let me just suggest, let me ask, I wish I could be stronger. I like to demand, but I can't do that because this is an independent Baptist church, you know, and you don't do that to independent people, do you? You, kind of, you sort of uh, have to suggest, but I'm going to demand. Can I demand this morning? Anybody? Deacons, okay, if I demand this, okay. I'm going to try it anyway. Three things I want you to really listen to me about as I close. As I heard this, it really excited my heart. I had to go tell Anita this the other day after when I was studying and I read this. There's three things that I think we need to 
set aside as we think about this as a church together. The first one is this. God's people should expect this of their leaders. That's important. God's people should expect this of their leaders. We have a great tendency today to say, well, this is the problem, or that's the problem, or this is an excuse, or this came about, so therefore it's no longer important. And I mentioned it earlier. When we become more impressed with gifts than we get when we become impressed with character, those kind of excuses start to work. God's people should demand these qualities of their leaders. Not excuses. Not saying, well, you know, it's really something beyond our ability to say. It should be demanded. Secondly, God's people should pray that this is true of their leaders. Well, that's where we really get into it, right? We should pray that this is true of our leaders because Satan is doing what? He has some snares and he wants us to fall into the reproaches and the snares of the devil. And he wants us to fall into condemnation. He wants to render a church ineffective. And so God's people should be praying for their leaders, especially in these areas, to be blameless, the husband of one wife, sober, vigilant, not wine, not striker, apt to teach, not, a pa- or not patient, not a brawler, protected from Satan. All these qualities should be prayed for by the church that one's involved with. Not only should we expect it of our leaders, but we should pray for it. Thirdly, and here's the one that really becomes important. I spilt the beans a little bit earlier. But God's people should aspire this to be true of their lives. That's the most important part. Every person who's saved should aspire this to be true of their, of their own life. That we be blameless that we have only eyes for one woman or one man as as the the situation would go. That we're vigilant, that we're sober, that we are of good behavior, that we are given to hospitality, that we are apt to teach, but maybe a little different, but not given to wine or striker or filthy lucre, not patient, not a brawler, not covetous, not because we do things because we want to make money off of it or we want to view somebody as a customer that we could somehow manipulate. None of that kind of stuff. You've been here with me long enough to go through stewardship, and you know that one of the furthest things from I trust the whole church here is trying to manipulate people when it comes to finances or anything. It has to be in our hearts. God is the one who gives to us the desire. Why? The world is watching. Oh, the world's not watching. Yes, the world's watching. Especially in a day and age which we live that's filled with despair, lack of hope, uncertainty. I've mentioned it before, but the church today should have a testimony like no other time in history because there is, especially with the media today and the information you have today, more uncertainty and more apathy and more despair than probably any other time in history. Because you know everything that's happening if you want to. 
And what do we need? We need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives. Where He is the one that we depend upon. And this becomes a, a situation of character. Well, I've used that word how many times? But it really is the theme of this section. And it's going to be next Sunday also with deacons. It's character. What a person is determines how we behave. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you give to us areas that we can evaluate our lives by. And we can look and see where you have demands for us and we can live appropriately into those demands. And Father, I pray this morning if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ as personal Savior, maybe they're not sure they're saved today, may this be the day they come to know Christ. 